All right, well, I am very excited to continue um, our series in John, and some of you, you didn't even know that we had done this before, but this is something that we did last summer, and now we're just kind of picking it up. Um, I, I, the reason I, I wanted to come back to John is because there's something in John that I think just helps give focus, gives kind of intentionality, and the Gospel of John has one of the most, I would say, honed, kind of articulate, um, purposeful, intentional kind of uh, style that I love. And I think more than ever, we need that simple, artistic focus these days. And we really do. We just need to know exactly what we need to know in the simplest form and what we should be pursuing. And that was John's gospel. It was an attempt to just say, hey, if we boil it all down, if we get it to the bare mins, where, where, what is the most intentional thing that we can be focused on? And, you know, the author of the, of the Gospel of John is just a little bit of a mystery. We kind of have it toned down to either two Johns, you know. I don't know if any of you know any Johns in your life. Evidently, there was a few Johns back then, uh, as there still continues to be now. Uh, the first one uh, was one of the apostles. He was one of the twelve. Um, there he is, right there. John, the son of Devity. And he, he was the guy that is the most popular, I've seen. But I, I never want to just give you one you know, kind of like, hey, this is for sure it. You know, I want to get you thinking. So you can do a little bit. There's also John the Elder, which was a very prominent uh, person that was involved in the first century church. Now, the, the Gospel of John is the oldest gospel that we have on our record. So it's the first. Um, and that's an intentional thing, that the first person to write a gospel, it kind of has this job of like setting the tone, all right? What's it all about? And the purpose of John's gospel, just to remind you, is so incredibly clear because he tells it to us. He tells us what, the God, what his point of his whole letter is. It's in chapter 20, verse 31, and it says this, But these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Savior, the Son of God, and that believing you may have life in his name. So it's a very simple down. He's like, look, uh, he's not going to talk about communion, baptism. I mean, he's going to leave a lot of stuff out of his gospel because his whole point is that he wants you to know who God is, who his son is, and that you can believe in him and receive life. And that's the whole point. We need more simplistic focus like this. We need to just say, hey, this is what we're going towards as a church, that every person would know their value in God's eyes that they love, they are loved and treasured, and that we are to be ambassadors of that. We are supposed to be people that represent that, that are moving that message forward. And that was John's message all those years ago. You are loved, that you have had a Savior that has come, that he's the Son of God, and that believing in him gives real life. So, that being said, we left off in chapter 6. Now, we left off at a really key point, so you need to remember the timeline of where we left off, because it's like coming in the middle of the story. You're like, where do we remember? You're like watching a Marvel movie. You're trying to remember the names of the characters before and where you're at in the story, right? You know there's an ending in the beginning. So here's the timeline of kind of the direct context of what we're talking about today. We just left the feeding of the 5,000, which was at the beginning of chapter 6. And that's really key because that is actually the same crowd of people that are going to chase Jesus down in this story that we're in today, and the teaching that we're in today. And what has happened in between the feeding of the 5,000 in our text is that Jesus has walked on water, just kind of casually stroll out onto the lake to catch up with his disciples in the boat. 
uh, and then they just immediately got to the other side, which has been a crazy, I don't know if it was like a motorboat you know, section or if it was just like a disappear, reappear. The Bible just says they immediately reached their destination. Just mostly how I wish most road trips went. Can we just be honest and just one of those old, uh, you know, dink, and then they were there, you know, but, but that's just not how it goes. But for Jesus, it is. So when we're picking up the story today, the crowd doesn't have that dink power. They can't just immediately show up. They don't take the lake. They got to go the long way around. And so this is where we pick up our text today in John chapter 6, verse 25. And it starts out by saying this, when they found him, see, they were looking. Uh, Jesus uh, had a shortcut where he could walk on water, which is probably an easy way to lose somebody. Let's just be honest. They don't have that in their arsenal. <laughs> All right. They asked him, Rabbi, which means teacher. This is not a divine term. Just clarify that. Rabbi. This just means teacher. When did you get here? <laughs> they can tell something special has happened in the time that he has gotten where he's gotten. You're like, that's uh, interesting. Uh, uh, nothing explained. Just an interesting question. Jesus answered, very truly, I tell you, you are looking for me, not because you saw signs I performed, but because you ate the loaves and you have had your fill. Pause. <laughs> this is that friend that hung around your house a little bit too much because they were just hungry. You know what I'm talking about? You're like, you're not even sure we're really friends, are we? You just heard we're having pizza. <laughs> uh, so uh, when's lunch? <laughs> right? And that's, that's the whole prominence of this. It's just like, hey, what, what are we eating next? Jesus knows that. So this is what he says. He kind of, you know, he kind of gives them a little bit of their own medicine. He kind of sees their heart because he's Jesus. Uh, do not work for food that spoils, but food that endures to eternal life. Pause. Okay. I want you to just imagine yourself sitting in someone's living room. You've been invited over for dinner, or maybe you just showed up, but it's around dinner time, and you ask the question, You've just received food from this person. <laughs> you ask the question, hey, uh, so uh, when's dinner? And they come at you with, with this line, right? I don't look for food that would spoil. Look for food that would last eternally. <laughs> yeah, but I'm hungry. Where's that at? Is this like a hook situation? You know, where we just imagine it and then the food shows up? Or what are we talking about here? This is the first sign that something in this text is going to be incredibly difficult if you're looking for just the physical. This is the first sign that Jesus is going, hey, you showed up looking for the same thing you got last time. I'm going to talk to you about some things that are not the same as last time. But the, the neat thing about this story is he offers everyone the same thing as last time, just not in the same form. Pretty. On him, God the Father has placed his seal of approval. So this is how he's getting his power to give you something that offers eternal life. God has given me a seal of approval. I wish I would have used that as a child when I asked for permission for things. Mom has given me a seal of approval, Dad. But I didn't. Then he asked him, what must we do then to... to, uh, to look, at this sentence right here gets me. What must we do to do the works God requires? I can't barely do that, but I did it. So what do we need to do to get this bread? Where's this bread that doesn't go away? How do we get it? Jesus answered, the work of God is this. Doesn't this tie in neatly to John chapter 20, verse 31? To believe in the one he has sent. You want access to the bread? You have to believe in the one that's offering it. Verse 30, 
So they asked him, what sign then will you give us that we may, believe, that we may see it and believe you? What will you do? <laughs> Pause. I, I, really wish, I, I really wish we had a little bit of like the sarcastic voice. Has anybody watched this series, The Chosen, yet? Um, I know I, I got given it this last week. It's just a really neat, like, kind of introspective look into the behind the scenes of what Jesus' personality could have been like. I recommend it. It's been really neat. But I just wonder what his face looked like when they said this. Like, if he didn't just give a little chuckle and, like, go, like, you mean, like, yesterday? You know, five loaves, two fish, you know, it's kind of, woo, 12 baskets left over. You don't remember that? You want another sign? I mean, what, what, what are we talking about here? But they point out what they want. They want the sign to look like this. Our ancestors ate manna in the wilderness that is as written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. So they're like, hey, we want it like Moses did it, you know, every day. You know, do it again. <laughs> like, that's, that's what we want. Verse 32, Jesus said to them, very truly, I tell you, it is not Moses who's given you the bread from heaven, but it is my Father who gives you the true bread from heaven. Okay, what are we talking about here? Are you talking this is better than what Moses had to offer? You're talking this is better? For the bread that, of God is the bread that comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. Here's where we know things are getting a little different. Not just to one group of people, but to a whole group of people. Not just to a specific situation, but to the entire world. I'm sure the crowd is sitting here going like, yeah, 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 the whole world and stuff, but like, I'm hungry. Like, what about now? Verse 33. Sir, they said, Always give us in a crowd asking for a cupcake, asking for a piece of pizza, and then hearing Jesus describe bread that you've never even dreamed of. A bread so good that you would have to only eat once, stay thin, and live forever. I mean, to some of us that sounds awful because bread sounds delicious. I don't want to just eat it once. I want to eat it every day, right? But to think about this, this is sustaining this is life-giving. This is eternal. They want it. And what's key to this is they came asking for manna, but they were offered something better than manna. They wanted this bread from heaven that had been offered to their ancestors, and Jesus is going, no, 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 no. You're asking too small. I'm offering something Better than that. And to them, probably most of them, they're thinking, that was pretty good. What could this possibly be if it's better than this manna? So he continues the conversation, and this is where things take a turn, you guys. Give them the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry. Whoever believes in me will never be thirsty pause that's when they feel like that you know the coin got flipped and everybody in the crowd is going okay what are you talking about i was talking about real bread i wanted manna how are you you what are you talking about so jesus expands on this verse 36 and it's not going to get easier to swallow i'm going to warn you this is difficult 
But as I told you, you have seen me and still do not believe. You've watched me multiply the loaves. You watched me do this. All those the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me, I will never drive them away. Listen, the Father's will is that all will live, and anyone that chooses to follow God's plan into this will find me, and I will not drive them away. For I have come down from heaven to do, to not do my will, but to do the will of him who sent me. I have a plan. I have a plan. But as I told you, you have seen me and still done not. Oh, oh, verse 39. 39. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I should not lose none of those that he has given me, but raise them up at the last day. So at this point, their brains have to be shifting. They have to start to go, okay, we're again, we're not talking about, talking about things that are not about my hunger in the sense of my physical pains. They seem to be talking about my weakness and my brokenness and my need for saving outside of my physical this is where I, I, I'll just I'll tell you, it can be tempting to tune out of this in your life. Right? Have you had this before where you're in physical pain, financial pain, relationship pain, you need things in your physical world to change, and then God offers you heart change? God offers you internal peace, and you're like, nah, that sounds good. What I really want... <laughs> Is like more money. <laughs> like what I really want is like the pain to go away. What I really want, this is that moment. They're starting to put the pieces together. Jesus is offering something they didn't know they even needed or wanted. But it's why he really came. My Father's will is that everyone who looks to the Son and believes in him shall have eternal life and that they will raise them up at the last day. You guys, they're looking for their hands to provide food. They're looking for their works to provide a way. They're looking their procedures and their following of the law to do the work that it cannot do. And Jesus is saying, no, there's a plan beyond what your hands can make. There's a plan beyond what your belly needs. There's a plan that goes further than your obedience. It's better than works. It's better than what works can get you. It's more than that. It's bigger than that. This is actually the first introduction to the concept of grace that Jesus teaches. He's saying, no, I'm going to provide something for you that you can't get on your own. You're going to have to put your faith in me. It's going to need to be better than your works. It's going to be better than manna. It's going to be better than what you can produce with your works. It's more than that. So after this, the Father's will is that everyone will get raised up. I mean, this is an introduction of grace, right? You think at this point, Jesus would kind of back off, give him a chance to chew on some stuff, right? Okay, cool, I need to think about that. But he just keeps going, and in fact, he, he ups the intensity of what he's talking about. In verse uh, 41, we get this. At this, the Jews began to grumble about him because he says, I am the bread of life that came down from heaven, 
They're quoting him, and they say this, isn't this Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? How can he say then that he has come down from heaven? Aren't we starting to put the pieces together at this point? I think you and I are, right? Hey, uh, don't we know him? Don't we know his parents? Don't we know how babies are made? Yeah, I don't think this is, don't think this is working on how this is supposed to come together. Jesus, though, is brilliant. He does this cool little thing. He tells him to shut up, basically, but in the Jesus way. He says this, stop grumbling! <laughs> I love you know, Jesus knows their heart. You know, he's like, hey, 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 stop! Knock it off. Maybe that should just be the whole sermon today. That should just be the whole sermon. <laughs> Everybody just chill, 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 chill. Stop grumbling among yourselves, Jesus. No one can come to me unless the Father who sent him draws them. I will raise them up at the last day. Pause right here. This is the introduction to the theme of grace. Look at the Father is drawing us with his love. The sacrifice of Christ at the end, the empty tomb, will be the first calling that we will actually be able, we will listen, follow through, and accept the gift. And guess what Jesus will do? I will raise them up on the last day if they choose to accept it. Look, this is going to be something you have to do. And then he quotes the prophet Isaiah. It is written in the prophets, they will be taught by God and everyone has, has heard the Father and learned from them. The way that Jesus just teaches this. This is Isaiah 54. It's talking about the coming Messiah. But what's fun is right before this is actually the, the thought of a barren woman being the person that provides Jesus. And what they don't know that Jesus knows is Jesus knows that Mary was a virgin. When she gave birth. It was the Holy Spirit. So he's not only giving them the answer to who, where to look, he's also telling them, my mom was that woman. It's pretty cool. They didn't catch it at that point, <laughs> but it's cool that he puts it in here. And then in verse 46, he continues, and this is, you guys, where he just puts it all on the ground. I mean, this is where if we're listening to this live and we don't have the cross and the empty tomb, I think it starts to get a little weird. He says, no one has seen the Father except the one who has come from the Father. Only he has seen the Father. Very truly, I tell you, the one who believes has eternal life. I am the bread of life. Your ancestors ate the manna in the wilderness, yet they died. But, but, verse, four, or verse 50, but he is the bread that comes down from heaven which anyone may eat and not die. I am the living bread that comes down from heaven. Whoever eats this bread will live forever. This bread is my flesh, which I will give for the life of the world. At that word, flesh, that's when everybody in the crowd went, I'm out. <laughs> Right? I'm out. I had my first cauliflower pizza crust about two months ago. Anybody had one of these? All right. Just admit it. It's okay. I want you to know, your pizza place in Aurora, rocking cauliflower crust pizza. All right? High five, Stephanie. All right? High five. Yeah. Give all the glory. All right? I'm telling you right now, I was not a believer you make vegetables into bread and tell me it tastes good, I'm going to call you a liar, all right? There ain't no way. That's a, that's a bleached piece of broccoli that you're pretending is pizza crust, and I don't like it. 
but it was fire and it was delicious. Now, here's why I bring that up. Mainly because it's silly, but, but, but it also has a point. All right, if you listen, listen, tune back in. Here's the reason. Some of the most dietary restricted people on the planet. They have so many codes, so many things that they are not allowed to eat, that they are, they are watching what they eat meticulously. I mean, they are making sure that what they are eating is not unclean. And they've done this since they were children. And so the thought of putting a person's flesh and eating it is crazy. I mean, it's crazy for us, right? You're like, all right, is that what the communion is? It's just little pieces of skin? Like, what are we talking about here? Like, that sounds, no, that's gross. What are we doing? But this is how they heard it. They heard it like a sacrifice. They heard it like the power that it's supposed to have. Like, no way. I'm not doing that. But that's exactly how he wanted them to hear it. Because he knew that was the power behind it. They knew this. That what you put in produces your life. Do you know this? You don't eat, you die. You know that? You don't eat. It takes like, well, depending on how big you are, 30 to 40 days. Depends on where you're at. You die. But you guess, guess what happens to every guy? Jesus is looking at him going, no, no, no. We haven't been talking about the physical this whole time. Why are you making this a physical thing? If you eat me, if you take me in, I will provide real life. Real life. And that's what this is. Jesus offers real life. He's saying, hey, there's something in me that you've never had before. Yeah, yeah, you've eaten some things and it's provided energy and it's provided sustenance, but there's something in me that is real and different. It's a different kind of living. And as if this statement here where he says, my flesh is what's going to provide life for the world, as if that moment isn't that, he doubles down, you guys. He doubles down on this concept. He wants them to get it to their very core. And so this is what he says in 52. Then the Jews began to argue sharply among themselves. How can this be that you give us the flesh to eat? You won't give me flesh to eat? Why would you do that? And Jesus says, very truly, I tell you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink, oh my gosh, his blood. Now we're vampires. You have no life in you. No life. How can he say that? We're not talking about Loaves and fish. And then 54, he says this, drinks my blood, has eternal life, and I will raise them up at the end of the day, at the last day, for my flesh is real food and my blood is real drink. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood remains in me, and I am then. This is the key right here. And I'm not, not going to get too graphic, but just think about this. Anything you eat and drink does not stay in you completely. Anything you eat and drink does not stay in you completely. This is talking about something that you ingest and it remains. It stays. It lives in you. Verse 57 says this, Just as the living Father has sent me, I live because of the Father. So those who feed on me will live because of me. 
This is the bread that comes down from heaven. Your ancestors ate manna and died, but whoever feeds on this bread will live forever. And then you get these last two verses that kind of they give you the full picture of kind of the end of this thought. He said this while teaching where? In the synagogue at Capernaum. He is in the midst of the Jewish people. He's got this crowd that has followed him there. He's talking about eating his flesh and drinking his blood. And so what do they say? On hearing this, many of his disciples said, this is a hard teaching. Who can accept it? And in fact, if you read even a few verses further, a bunch of his disciples desert him. And then he actually turns to his disciples and he says, are you guys going to lead too? Are you 12 going to leave? And of course, who speaks up? Peter. <laughs> he says, where will we go? Where will we go? So how can I, you to, 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 how can I give you something, a thought that you would take with you this week. A thought that you would know that it's better than manna that you need. It's, it's better than what you can produce and that Jesus is offering real life. And I want it to, I want it to stick in a, in a way that's maybe a little, bit, a little bit hard to think about, but it's very intentional in its wording and it's very tight and small. I want you to think about it like this. Let's, let's feed on Jesus. Let's feed on Jesus. Let him come in and live and dwell. Let him bring real perspective. Let him bring real truth. Let it be something that would fill you up again, that you would see your value, that he would call you by name. They would know you, that he would offer you grace, fulfillment. You would experience real life, not just sustenance. Now, what does this look like to feed on Jesus? I know a lot of you are like, okay, that's creepy. <laughs> Wake up and say that statement. That's a little creepy. I'm not going to drink my coffee and say I'm feeding on Jesus this morning. But maybe, maybe you should. Four quick thoughts, what it might look like to feed on Jesus. These aren't all of them. These are just my four quick thoughts. First one, daily intake empowers growth. Daily intake empowers growth. Giving your spiritual side of your life something to eat and nourish you. <laughs> Tapping in, talking. Maybe this is a devotional. Maybe this is a prayer time. Maybe this is a conversation, a podcast. Maybe it's just you turning on a Christian song, the first thing that you hear. And it's just this daily intake of what God thinks of you, who Christ is, what he's done for you. So daily intake, that's, that empowers growth. The second is connected to this. Listening accelerates learning. When you're talking to the God of the universe, I just want you to know he knows more than you. And so listening, a lot of times, is the thing we struggle with the most. He has plenty that he would love to share with you, plenty that he would love to tell you. And, and a lot of times I think when we picture this, we picture like all the horrible things that we're doing and just listening to him list them. Like, like great, start the list. Here we go. Oh, I know. And that's not this, what this is. I, I think the message of the cross, even the message of this is that I choose you again. 
And always, I want you. I came for you. Let go of the shame. Let go of the pain. Let go of the hurt. Walk with me. When you listen to your heavenly Father, it accelerates your learning. Third, I keep looking up here because the TV wasn't working first, but I do have it back here too. Confession and surrender produce dependence. When you confess where you've messed up, when you confess where your shortcomings or your struggles are, and then you surrender to God, you say, listen, I messed up. I, I got something wrong. I need something better than what I'm producing. I'm surrendering to the real life that only comes through his works, his finished work. It creates a dependence in your life where you're not just trying to live off manna. You're not just trying to live off what you daily can get. You're trying to and it creates a dependence on him. That's a good thing. That's where real life is. Something that can't be taken away by riots or pandemics or political parties. Something that can't be taken away by family strife, broken marriages, parenting struggles, financial struggles, or personal health concerns. It's irremovable because it's him. And he never changes because he's in you. He doesn't leave. Confession and surrender produce confidence or dependence. The last one, and this is one that I feel like is overlooked so much, accountability leads to consistency. If you are struggling in an area, even in any of these, all right, you're struggling with any of these, find somebody to help you find some consistency. Consistency over time makes all the difference in the world. And if you can't get to a place where you can do it consistently, you are missing what is there at the back of when you do something. It's like somebody that works out twice a year, just like me, and they look for the better results. You know, They want it to be different, but then the first 90-degree day, they look like they went swimming when they took the trash out. And I'm telling you, we do this spiritually. We do this spiritually all the time. We don't ask for anyone to hold us accountable. We don't ask for anyone to ask how we're doing. We don't give anyone permission to ask us anything about this. Are you listening? Have you confessed any time lately? Hey, have you had any daily intake of Jesus? Well, no, but I'm depressed. I'm like, yeah, yeah, I get it. There could be some mental stuff, but how about we just start with holding you accountable, just daily taking a little bit of Jesus in, daily listening to what he says about who you are, daily confessing and surrendering that maybe you don't have all the answers in yourself. Maybe things could be a little different. So I beg of you, if it's your spouse, you lay next to him every night, you just say, hey, you got permission. If it's just a friend that you're Zoom calling, texting, FaceTiming with, maybe it's just someone that you live across the street, you take the trash out at the same time, or you just run into him at the grocery store, or you set it up intentionally. I ask you, give somebody permission to hold you accountable, to depend on Jesus. So here's what we're going to do. We're going to take John chapter 6. And we're not just going to ask for manna. And we're not going to just throw our works out the window, but we're going to know there's something better than works, what we can produce. We're going to choose to chase after the full life that Jesus has offered. And we're going to do it by feeding on him, by pursuing him, 
by listening to him, by taking him in daily, being accountable to that, surrender and confessing, watching him move. It's only he can.